Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week, I'm at the home of award-winning recipe writer, author and YouTuber, one of Bake Off's most celebrated winners and mother of two, Chetna Makan, to talk about her new book, Chetna's Indian Faces. We had aunts and uncles and their wives and everybody around us and the gatherings and one aunt lived on the top floor and one aunt lived and the family lived on the ground floor. We were on the first floor. And it was just that whole uh, kind of cousins and community, kind of, you know, family all around you. Even the neighbours used to pitch in for everything. They still do. In this first episode of a special series, we're talking about food through the prism of matrescence, the raw ingredients which make up the heady mix of motherhood and provide the recipe for life. Matrescence, like adolescence, shows us a picture of process and with it an implicit understanding of what that means. Just as adolescents are always adults in training, so matrescence are mothers in training and it never stops. The word was initially coined by anthropologist Dana Raphael in 1973 to describe the experience of half the global population, but it's barely known, barely discussed, barely acknowledged, barely understood, most importantly. On the contrary, we're supposed to know the minute we give birth what motherhood is all about. It's instinct, isn't it? But it's estimated that perinatal mental health problems alone cost the NHS and social services around £1.2 billion annually. Imagine the impact on families and the wider society of so many postnatal mental health issues. The massive lows that come with the roller coaster of emotions of motherhood at all ages and stages. So the aim of this Cooking the Book Summer Series is to introduce the word into the national conversation. Tara Wigley and Shivi Ramata are just two of the other guests who I'll have throughout August who have much to say on the subject. By the time the kids are back at school in September, there should be tens of thousands more mothers sighing with relief and saying it's not just me then. But first, lunch with Chetna and a feast from her new book. She took me through what you put on the table. So I'm going to start with the dal fry, which is a special Dhaba style Indian dal fry. It's tempered twice and it's made with a combination of lentils. This is a mint cucumber raita, which is a must in Indian feast, some sort of yogurt. And this is paneer piazza. This is my kid's absolute favorite. Um, this is cumin rice, which is my favorite. It's the simplest rice, but it's packed with flavor. This is the coriander chutney, which is, you know, everyone, exactly, every book. Um, And this is a special um, wedge cutlets, which are, uh, which hold a very special place uh, because I, you know, it's from a place, a restaurant in India where my parents live and where I grew up. So uh, this has got lots of memories. And this chicken is actually not from the book. It is a new recipe that I'm testing on you. Oh, how exciting. Well, we're going to tuck in and we're going to meet again in a minute. Jenna, that was amazing. I mean, it was a feast. It's a Tuesday lunchtime. (laughs) Do you often make Jenna's feasts on a Tuesday lunchtime? Um, Well, I can say that uh, some of the things I might do on a Tuesday lunchtime, but not all of it, I have to agree. That what was, would you do? Give, give us an example of what you do. If I'm at home on my own, which is 
you know, most of the time in the week, I just have eggs every single day. I love eggs and I actually look forward to lunch every day because I like them nice and crispy fried. And that's what I do for lunch. Sadly, that's not very exciting. But for me, it's very exciting. (laughs) Well, not exactly a feast. But I mean, that was a feast because it had lots of different beautiful dishes. I mean, what, there were six or seven different dishes there, all of different colours. And that's, I mean, if you put that out on a beautifully laid table and you brought loads of friends around, you know, that would absolutely be a really exquisite banquet of a dinner party. Um, What for you makes a feast a feast? I think for me, feast is basically, personally, it's feeding others. It's just about um, the satisfaction I get um, when people are enjoying eating, even if it's just my kids or my husband or my friends, any anybody who I've cooked for enjoying the food, that is worth all the hours spent in the kitchen. You are, and we've talked about this on, on the last time you were on the show, you are prolific. I mean, you bring out a book a year, don't you? Yes. Uh, it's, so the, for the last eight years, this is my seventh book. There was a gap in the first two, which is why in the year uh, it's been... Uh, uh, a year lagging behind but. <laughs> but basically every book is kind of just more amazing food with a little bit of a twist the last one actually was baking so it's quite okay. different okay. to that but if we go to 30 minute indian which was the one before that which was purely indian food i think the difference is there are some recipes that was everything could be cooked in 30 minutes and i made sure that was correct uh, i tested and tested till every recipe was ready in 30 minutes um But this one, there are recipes that could take overnight soaking, that could take hours on the stove or in the oven. So this is more of a... There are recipes that will be very ready in minutes, but... There's a mixture. Yeah, there's a, a, a kind of a purpose behind it. You're going to take a little bit more time, a little bit, to make it a little bit more extravagant. Now, we've talked over lunch about how you don't call yourself a writer i mean for somebody who brings out so many books you are definitely a writer but you i mean i'm I? yes you Good certainly <laughs> but what's really interesting i mean i'm very interested in process and you are very definitely a recipe writer i mean you yes. d- just the amount of work that you do in the space of one week on your recipes um God, it's a lot. Um, So like I had mentioned earlier, um, I write the recipe books. Plus, at the same time, I do three recipes on YouTube every week. Plus, I'll be sharing recipes on Instagram and other, you know, uh, outlets. Um, So it is nonstop. In between that, I might be doing recipes for magazines or newspaper. Um, So it is a lot of work. I can't tell you an exact number, but every day I might be cooking one or two recipes. It's just, it is literally nonstop. Yeah. Tell me about how you pitch a recipe to um, or yourself as a recipe writer to a new magazine. I mean, you're very, very established now, so I presume they come to you. But somebody rang me the other day and said can you that they were mentoring a, a new recipe writer in the Guild of Food Writers and they wanted to pick my brains about, you know, how you pitch to a major British food magazine. How do you do it? Why, wow. So that is um, a tricky one because um, 
I have not pitched too much to magazines and newspapers. And I'm just being honest because I don't want people to think that I write these amazing pitches. And um, a few times I have emailed people with just a very, very brief idea of what I would like to do in the recipe. Say it's summer special and I would like to make a really nice cake, for example. Or Diwali is coming up, I would like to make something for the family feast. Um but I have not, and I, I know um, listening from other people that might not be the right way to do it. Well, tell us. I mean, what's your experience from other people? I mean, obviously, you bake off and, you know, Indian and, you know, easy. You know, those are the things that, that magazine editors are going to be looking for. But what do you know from your conversations with other people about how to pitch? I think what I've heard and I've been told by other recipe writers is to actually go into extreme detail. And to uh, exactly tell the theme of your piece, um, how many recipes that might have and what recipes that might have. Uh, that's what I've been told. But I have personally not done that um, really. Because as a, a reader of recipes, I will go to the people whose story pops out at me. Something that I will have some kind of connection with and I know that that recipe is going to have much more to it than just the sum of its ingredients. Is that a surprise to you? Actually, no, I'm not surprised because I might be, uh, I might do the same. Uh, the only difference that it might have for me is if it has pictures, even if I don't know the person and if I like the look of the food, then I'll go read that bit. Um, so, if supposing, you know, sometimes articles don't have pictures, they just have recipes, then I might find it a bit tricky to stop on a page where I don't know who that person is. Yeah. Just going through your four food moments in this really lovely book, and the, it's such a pretty colour as well. You're very into colour, aren't you? Because you do come from that design background. Let's quickly talk about the, the cover. Did you have much of an input? Oh, 100%. absolutely. 100%. A lot of input because I knew what kind of color I wanted and uh, this time I didn't want uh, design because the previous books have had um, not actual pictures but you know just patterns and I didn't want that so yeah it, it, I, I love color and I, I, I wear a lot of color I have a, got a lot of color I just love color I think um, it's a shame if we don't utilize the amazing colors in the world so yeah I wanted it to have all of it yeah it's it's very beautiful your your first food moment the chickpea curry it's vegetarian you do a lot of vegetarian stuff not exclusively but it is your kind of pretty much your go-to yeah. isn't it tell us about the chickpea curry so chickpea curry is special because it's kind of like a um a main kind of dish in our families uh more so because i'm punjabi uh, which is i'm north indian and chole which is i call it chickpea curry but it's actually chole in hindi and it is uh, important part you'll find it in every single wedding it's served i don't remember any wedding where they haven't served chole or if it's a, a celebration or a festival, then you'll have it. Um, and if, say, if you're having a big gathering, lots of relatives coming, because in India that happens a lot, then you cook chole because um, it's something that you know that everybody will love. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an important part of my repertoire as well well it isn't does it take you back to those days i mean you've been in broadstairs we're in your lovely home in broadstairs you've been here 20 years 
when you are thinking about a chickpea curry like that and you're remembering those feasts, I mean, I know that you go back a lot and it's, you know, it's always wedding season in, in India, isn't it? Does it, how do you fit the chickpea curry with your life now? Do you, would, if you had friends around now, for example, would you put that on the table as one of your feasts? Yes, 100%. And I have done that again and again, over and over again. And also, I have to say, over the years now myself, I have, I've got variety of chickpea curry recipes. So it's not just one, because when I came from India, I knew only one way to cook chickpea curry, uh, with the traditional Punjabi chole way. But now I use tin chickpeas sometimes, which obviously is not the traditional way. And um, I'll, I'll add vegetables to it, I'll cook it with potatoes, I will make it with curry I would make it dry you know I could do I do so many variations but keep the basics the same if that makes sense Um, so yeah I have it every single time it's just one of those things I know will get eaten I know the kids will love it wherever they are from you know it's not just Indian kids but everyone will love it tin chickpeas versus dried chickpeas just tell us the secret do you really Yes, yes. Um, I use tin chickpeas. In fact, I bought some more yesterday. And I always have two or four tins in the cupboard just because um, uh, you could make absolutely eat a lot of hummus at home. um, And I need it for that. Or like a quick uh, curry or make a salad like for everything yeah. it's so important. I mean, the reason I ask that and I only ever use tin chickpeas. Oh. I've 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 actually soaked dried chickpeas with bicarb once no way. in my life I all, and I always have homemade hummus in the fridge always and I use chickpeas for everything and I yeah. but it I, I can't tell the difference because I don't use oh. both so which is better really Oh, 100% hands down soaking overnight. There is no alternative to it. Oh, my God. If you, I can, if you put a blindfold me and if you made me taste overnight soaked chickpeas and tin chickpeas, I can tell you in a flash because the difference is that much. Okay, salt. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Um, Your kachibiriyani, it says it in the book, actually, I think. Uh, It's your death row meal. It is my death row meal. Chicken biryani specifically, uh, not any other biryani or wedge biryani. No, 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 no. Chicken biryani is, I, I can't tell you how much I love it. I absolutely, it's the most delicious meal. And if any recipe kind of comes first to my mind when I think of feast, it's biryani. Because biryani means feast in my head. But it is because all those flavours are meld into one, isn't it? You know, so you do get that oil and you get the spices and it just all is so completely umami. It's one of my favourite Indian oh dishes Oh my God, well. umami, that's it. You've chosen the right word. And also it takes so long. If you're making it properly, it does take time. You cannot make biryani in half an hour. So I could never put it in 30 minute Indian. But it's something that takes really nice good long afternoon and then you can enjoy it sit down and enjoy it in the evening and it tastes even better the next day exactly as they always do my, my parents used to cook a lot of curries when I was growing up and the house always smelled but 
of beautiful spices. I just loved it. Um, your third food moment is coriander yogurt chutney. Again, it is in every single one of your books. Why? Because I think it is one of the uh, best chutneys, Indian chutneys. And I totally agree that not everyone will agree with me. Uh, Indians or non-Indians, they might not agree. But for me, I think it's the most delicious, fresh, ready in seconds chutney that can take your meal from ordinary to extraordinary in seconds. Yeah, I mean, we've just had some here. Um, you did a beautiful cucumber rioter with, with uh, pomegranates, which was absolutely beautiful, but it looked very different from this very dense green of the of the coriander chutney. And, and we had a, a number of different dishes. Each of those went so beautifully with both of those dishes. And on the plate, it looked absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Is that one of its benefits? It has very, very different flavour to the other. Yes, absolutely. I think lots of benefits. First of all, it is for me, it's the ease of making it. Plus, it every bite is fresh and um, kind of herby and just refreshing. It just is so light. Yeah. It's light. Uh, it's got no spices in it. Yeah. It's just got herbs in it. And like I've done in every book, I've got seven coriander chutneys out now. And every one of them is different. It's not just adding coriander and make a chutney. One will have yogurt like this one. Previous one had peanuts. Some will have lentils in it. Some would have uh, some coconut. So every one is different. And um, they taste different. And each of them uh, is amazing. <laughs> but you've made these up, haven't you? This is not the coriander chutney that you would have in India. Um no, so there are again very uh, lots of variations in India. The North Indians would make it differently. The South Indians would make it differently. But I thought I covered them all in the previous book, so I have to come up with my own variations now. <laughs> we'll be watching what else you do with your coriander chutneys <laughs> in the next books. Your your final food moment is the veg cutlet, and we've just had this now. This is incredibly easy, incredibly beautiful, and particularly with that coriander chutney. Tell us about that one. So this cutlet is so special because uh, it's on the menu of a coffee house in, in Jabalpur where I'm from, central India. My parents, you know, I bo I'm born and brought up there. My parents still live there. And every time I visit, even now, we we have an evening set for trip to Indian Coffee House. The name is called Indian Coffee House. Now, they have everything. They have got biryani to chaat to North Indian food to South Indian food, everything. And then they have these cutlets, which my dad always orders. Absolutely. So we'll have idli sambar or whatever, and he'll have his cutlets. And they've got this taste and I have tried to replicate it because they wouldn't give me the recipe I tried. They just wouldn't give it to me. So I tried to just with taste get it uh, as close as possible to the original thing. And actually, I think I've managed. It's not exactly the same because the vegetables grown, grown in England are different tasting to India, but um, they are very close to it. And actually, they taste very different to any veg burgers, veg cutlets you might have. It's just the simplicity of the cutlets that makes it what it is. So what was in this? So it's actually some uh, carrots, some beetroot, some potatoes, and all it's is uh, just cooked down, mashed together, salt, chili and cumin. And that's it. And then they are rolled with uh, cornflour and breadcrumbs. 
delicious and very pretty and pink. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You say that it is a, um, a, a very potent food memory f- that takes you back to India and to your parents. And I really wanted to talk to you a little bit about the impact of your mum on your mothering. We talk a lot on this programme about um, the impact of mothers and grandmothers on cooking. Um, and a lot of people go back through their food memories to their homelands through their relationship with their mother and 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 their grandmothers but i wanted to know about a woman who brought her family up in a completely different country who had to kind of do it on her own um which isn't the indian way i mean it shouldn't be the way in any culture but it is very much a british way to do it by yourself tell me about being a mom I think it it was uh, you're absolutely right it's not the indian way in india you like growing up we had aunts and uncles and their wives and everybody around us and the gatherings and one aunt lived on the top floor and one aunt lived and the family lived ground floor we were on the first floor and it was just that whole uh, kind of cousins and community kind of you know family all around you even the neighbors were used to pitch in for everything they still do and i think here um it was literally me and my husband that is it we don't have any cousins in the country which is very unusual for indians because you know you'll find cousins everywhere but um just no family so uh it was very tricky but at the same time it it was something we did together so it wasn't like i was on my own ever i always had the support of my husband um and my mom actually came uh when i had both my kids and stayed with me for a month in the first month and she just fed me and looked after us and did everything for us which i don't think i could have done without her so yeah. the first month was is always so hard and crucial and she was here for us but um yeah i think it's just made us um me i've always had loads and loads of friends growing up and moving around i've always had friends and over here as well i think friends have become more like family because they moved here they didn't have uh, their parents are all in uk but they far locally we are each other's families and that is what i think it's quite special because we've made our own family here with our friends that's amazing because you've taken the sort of the cultural learning and you've appropriated it and you brought it you've brought it here what's very interesting is that that isn't a cultural thing here um it was sent you know probably 100 years ago it was you know you grew up around your parents and around your family and they all helped i think most people i know uh, their mothers came to help with the babies uh when the babies first arrived but matrescence is a word that like adolescence is about a process of becoming the next stage of you know becoming a mother adolescence is about becoming an adult matrescence is about becoming a mother and it is very much a process and i'm thinking about you know when your kids were like seven and nine and you know 10 and 12 14 and 16 coming up no how old's your yeah, daughter now 14 and 16, 14 and 16 now oh my yeah. god you know these are moments where actually you kind of really need somebody around who's done it before um i think that's like i've mentioned i think that's where our friends are coming in uh, the picture right now because we've all got kids exactly the same age uh and they've known each other for years now uh, since they were born so we have known these uh friends for so long that if they are going through something with their kids or i'm going through something with the kids we talk 
we absolutely talk and share and i think that is what is most important because um you need to have it doesn't matter if it's your own sister or your someone who feels like your sister you need to talk i think the biggest problem is uh, if you're not able to share this with somebody because it might be the stupidest thing but for you in your head as a mother it might be the biggest problem on the planet and that's where you can talk it through and they might say oh you know what she did that my daughter did that the other day but don't worry or um i find that very very helpful yeah. i don't know what i'd do without that support yeah and we know that an enormous amount of women feel very solitary and a lot of single Absolutely. moms can you imagine and there's a lot of shame attached to not doing it right whatever that might be seriously <laughs> what is that all about i know but it is a big big issue when you're i mean you're a a well-known food writer um your daughter has been watching you become that person over the last 10 years yes. um that must be quite extraordinary first of all bringing her up at the same time as becoming that person having a certain sense of being somebody in the world yet still trying to work out how on earth to do this biggest job in the world which is being a mother tell us some of the, some of the examples of where you've just thought oh my god you know i feel a bit embarrassed about i don't know where i am here i think uh, for me uh, i think i know my priorities i think for me i and i don't judge anyone because like you said everyone has their own idea of how they want to bring up the kids and how what kind of mother they want to be i for me my priority is my kids and work comes second you know there's no doubt about it and when i had them both of them and uh, like uh, you know there was no support here I didn't go back to work after maternity leave. There was no way. There was this thing I can I if I remember that time I can still remember that feeling where I could not leave them in a nursery till they were 3 which was the age the government suggested we send them to nursery. I just couldn't. I just I just didn't have the heart to leave a little one and thankfully i was in a position where i didn't have to go back to work which is actually very you know i i feel very privileged that i didn't have to go back to work and i could stay home but that was something a decision i made and i am so grateful um and i thank myself for doing that but even today i would not miss their events or um anything i would cancel my stuff work stuff if i have to but i wouldn't miss their stuff because i know that soon they'll be off you know um and then i'll have all the time in the world to do what i want but right now is not that time and i don't want to uh miss anything whether it is um taking them for a, a match or taking them for training or driving them from even when i drive them to friends places i don't want them to miss out on anything so i want to be here for whatever they need whether they need a cleaner or a driver or a cook <laughs> and i think what has uh, like you mentioned earlier which is a very good point they have seen me grow from in this career they have not seen my other career but in this career they have seen me grow from nothing to what i am today with the seven books and doing various things and because of lockdown they became my cameramen and you know they became my editors they became like they were the ones sia was the one who suggested why don't i film on the phone when my cameraman couldn't come and she said mom just use this app to edit it and i was uh, you know on it but i think 
this is what the difference where they've seen me grow and they know how hard I work. You know, I'm up late nights. I'm uh, kind of because I want to be with them when they're back from school. I want to be very present. But at the same time, I might be juggling. And thankfully, the kitchen is such where I can sit and kind of talk while work. Well, not thankfully. You've kind of created it that way. <laughs> yes, this is the hub of the house. Yeah. You know, the kitchen is the hub of the house. And, um, and I think and I'm hoping that that is going to in some way shape their um, young working minds and maybe it will give them, show them that, you know, they can do whatever they want. If they don't have to uh, go with the same thing they decided to do at college and they can change their careers later in life. Thanks for listening. Do pop over to my Substack for much more each week throughout the whole of August on addresses from my superstar guests.